How many of you have already decorated for Christmas? How many of you? Maybe I should have asked how many. No, I don't want to embarrass you. How many of you are not decorating for Christmas? Christmas season is uh, filled with wonder and color and uh, great food and celebration and party planning and shopping and um, desserts and movies and incredible characters like Rudolph, uh, Frosty the Snowman. Come on, some of you, you like them. Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, Santa Claus, the whole deal. Well, um, what I want to do in this series called The Star of Christmas is I want to show you why Jesus is the real star of Christmas. But to do that, I want to introduce you to some characters, and some of those characters are going to be here uh, with our kids in Kids Church uh, every, every week this month, and they're all going to be here on the 18th. But I want to introduce you to um, a character. You're not actually going to see them today, but you're going to see the effect of them. You're going to see what happens um, when, when they move into a situation. So, uh, Fro- uh, not Frosty, Jack Frost is the first character I want to introduce you to. And uh, our video team put this little video together to show you um, how when there's some children that were trying to have breakfast, and in the middle of their breakfast, they had an encounter with Jack Frost. So take a look at this. Yay! think that Jack Frost had something to do with this? Yeah. Why does he froze your cereal? It freezes everything. Why? That's just what he does. Jack Frost freezes everything. That's just what he does. So um, you've heard of the character of Jack Frost, you know, Jack Frost nipping at your nose. He's the one supposedly that puts the little uh, blast of frost on the windows. Uh, when you feel bitter cold on your fingers and toes, you know, this is the work of Jack Frost. But uh, I did a little research to find out, you know, is Jack Frost based on a real person or where, where did this come from? And the, the more his character evolves, the harder he is to understand because Jack Frost is like an amalgamation of folklores. Like he wasn't a real person and it just kind of became this legend that evolved over time. But the more, the more it evolves, the more we understand him as this mischievous and cynical. And um, not, not, we're not sure that we can trust him. He's unpredictable. And if Jack Frost were a real person, we would have to ask the question, how did he get that way? How did he become a person who takes joy in you know, blasting kid cereal? Like, how, how does he become a person who is cynical and all of that? And if he were a real person, we would, we would have to ask that question. Now, if you'll let me just take a Christmas leap this morning 
If Jack Frost were a real person, we would have to say, I think somebody, something happened to him. Something bad happened to him. Somebody hurt him, or else how else would he be so frozen-hearted? And that's what happens to all of us when we get hurt. We, we have to figure out how to deal with that. And so um, what happens when we get hurt is we have to figure out how to try to resolve that pain. And what I want you to do this morning is just give you some ways that we, some things that start to surface in our life as we try to resolve a, a wound or a hurt. And uh, kind, of, kind of the way that, you know, Jack Frost uh, tried to. But if we don't resolve those hurts, it has a deep impact on our life and our relationships and and how we function every day. So here's the list. Um, you can look at it. So oftentimes when a person's hurt, if they don't resolve the hurt, they become, they become um, critical. Criticism rises up. You know, and they begin to think, uh, they begin to see everything in a critical way because what's really going on is, is there's hurt inside that they don't know how to resolve. Or anger. Sometimes uh, uh, angry people are hurt people. Or let me say it a different way. Angry people are people with a hurt that's never been resolved. And, and you can just move down the list. Uh, sarcasm, suspicion. People that are hurt and the hurt hasn't been resolved become suspicious of everything and everybody. Oh, that, you know, that's how they get you. <laughs> They're out, everybody's out to get you. You just have to keep an eye on them and figure it out. Uh, people who have an unresolved hurt become distrustful. Pessimism and, and cynicism, withdrawal. Some people just like a turtle pull back in their shell and say, you won't hurt me again because you won't be able to find me. I'm going to hide. I'm going to hide so well that no pain is ever going to affect my life again. Pettiness. People that major on the minors. Every little thing is a big giant thing because what they're trying to do is figure out how do I, how do I deal with this uh, hurt, and I, what I'm going to do is just uh, microscopically zoom in on every little thing and measure it and not let any little thing come into my life again. Before it becomes a big thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it. Impulsiveness, compulsiveness, seeking revenge, gossip. You know, it took me years to understand. Years. A chronic gossip is a wounded person. A person who, who compulsively and consistently talks about other people is a wounded person. There's an unresolved hurt inside somehow, and they're avoiding it by dealing in everybody else's business. Inability to maintain relationships. If you look behind you in your life, and you have a lot of start-stop relationships, if you have a lot of relationships that weren't able to be maintained then what might be really going on is you have an unresolved hurt inside your heart and it's prevented you from maintaining relationships. Self-righteousness. Man, people, people that get hurt oftentimes turn their heart cold like Jack Frost and say, oh, they're the kind of people that would do that, but I would never do anything like that. And that becomes their... They're, that's, the, that's the torch they carry. They champion that cause. We're never going to do that, and we're never going to let... What they don't see is that they have other blind spots of things that they do. They're just not going to do the one that's done to them. Entitlement. If you knew what they did to me, you would know that I'm entitled to this. 
My pain has earned it for me. And then, and then this one, dehumanizing the offender. Man, when people have unresolved hurt and it goes really bad, turns to bitterness, by the way, that's where we are as a culture right now. We're in an angry culture. If the first thought that comes to your mind when you think about a Republican or a Democrat is their ideology or their uh, party affiliation and not the fact that they're a human, your heart might be getting cold. Because we have to think about people first as humans and people and not dehumanize them down to the smallest amount of their cause or whatever, whatever it is that we don't like or disagree with. So Jack Frost's heart got really cold. Look at this list for a minute, and I want you to try to identify in it where, where you go when you get hurt. What is your intuition? What is your impulse? Which one or ones of those tend to start to show up in you? What is your natural reaction when you get hurt? Which one do you turn to first? That's a very important thing to know because it shows you how you might be trying to handle something on the outside that's actually going on on the inside. I remember uh, back in the 90s, some of you remember Promise Keepers. And they had a Promise Keepers pastors conference. And 45,000 pastors from across America, across denominations and everything, came to this big um, rally in Atlanta. And it was, a, it was amazing. I, like, I don't know that we'd ever had anything like that in American history. And on the way into the Georgia Dome, um, there, were, there were protesters outside with signs, like picketing the you know, clergy conference. And, and they were so angry. And I just thought, my goodness, like, this, this, is, you know, this is the cause? Like, this is the thing that you, all, of all the things wrong with the world, this is the one you pick to, to like protest. And they're just protesting and holding these signs. And, you know, uh, uh, me and a couple of my friends that were with me, we stopped and talked to a few people. And everything was, you know, Billy Graham was a fraud. And, I mean, you know, they were just going down the list. And I thought, my, I, I didn't even know what to do. I was dizzy. I thought, I don't even know how to have a conversation with these people. And I had a, I had a friend, big, big guy, about, looked like an NFL lineman, about 300 pounds, had no neck, you know, big guy, big jolly guy, big kind of, you know. And he looks at one of the guys right in the eye, and he said something I'll never forget. He said, who hurt you? And I thought, I didn't even know what to say. But I think he said it. He said, who hurt you? And the guy went, ah, ah, ah. you know, that's not what this is about. And everything on his face told me that that is what this is about. <laughs> it's exactly what it's about. Unresolved wounds leave us cold and angry. And I'm not sure about how Jack Frost got that way, but probably the same way that we get that way, probably through hurt and our heart just freezes. The older I get, the longer I pastor, the more convinced I become that so many of the issues that we deal with as people have everything to do with a hurt that's happened somewhere and it's never been resolved. So much of, I'm, I'm amazed at the number of people that I've talked to and there'll be something going on in the present and how unaware I am, you are, we as people become over time. Yeah, but that was way back there. That has nothing to do with now. Can I tell you, unresolved hurt has everything to do with now. 
It doesn't matter how long ago it was. It doesn't matter, you could move to another state, you could start a new life, you could start a new family, you could start a new job, you could start anything new you want to start. But until it's resolved, it has an impact on your daily life. It has an impact on your relationships and on your present. So uh, for us, we, we, we try to deal with these wounds, but we don't always know what to do. So maybe by this point you're thinking, uh-oh, you know, I've walked into a therapy session of some kind, and I thought I was just coming to church. You know, you, you may be a little skeptical and say, hey, so what you're saying really is we're all victims, and if we'll just accept that we're a big victim and, and whatever, we'll embrace that identity, then all our problems will go away. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that we as people tend to underestimate the effect of the wounds that come into our life. And what I'm pleading with you to do today, and I'm asking you to consider, is to not underestimate the pain or wound that's come into your life. Not underestimate the effect that it can have on your present relationships or future relationships. I've, I've, I've heard stories that would literally make your heart sink. People who've been carrying wounds for years and years, something, something like, you know, a, a parent's abuse or a parent's abandonment, a, sp- a spouse who may have smashed your heart or a trusted authority, a coach, a pastor, a teacher, a leader who you thought was a trusted, safe person and they ended up not being safe. They did something to you that they shouldn't have done. Maybe a church that you were a part of that was supposed to be a safe place, but something happened there and it wasn't a safe place. You, you may even be here this morning and just be mad at God. Maybe the unresolved conflict inside of you is God didn't act the way that I thought He should. He didn't do what I thought He would do. And it creates this separation and this conflict and tension between you and God. Maybe it's a friend that you trusted with your life. And there's nothing that stings like the betrayal of a trusted friend. How do you resolve these things? Well, it's a holiday weekend. (laughs) And I know that we have, you know, family here, family online with us, maybe people from out of town. And so I want to be careful. I realize this could be a sensitive thing. But in the holidays, we see family we don't see all the time. We retrace some of our steps that we've forgotten about. In the busyness of everyday life throughout the year, we can kind of hold these things off. But somehow near the holidays, we tend to take a look inside. We tend to reflect a little more. We slow down a little more, and some of these old feelings surface. And I know this just by working with people long enough. These pains are not made up. They're real. And they're rarely exaggerated. So how do you resolve them? There's only one way to resolve an unresolved wound, hurt. Here it is. It's forgiveness. That's the only way. I already gave you the list of other things we try. How's that going? Forgiveness is the only way. Lewis Smeads uh, wrote wrote an old classic book called Forgive and Forget. And here's what he said about forgiveness. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. 
Forgiveness is as much for you as it is for the person who may have done whatever they've done to you. I shared this a few weeks ago in our um, How to Thrive When Life is Heavy series, but I want to share it again because I think it paints the picture perfectly. There was a pastor of a large church, uh, about 20,000 people, and he noticed that emotionally he began to grow numb. And he wasn't able to connect with life or ministry or relationships the way that he was, and he knew that he was in trouble. And before something bad happened, he, he went away to a place actually called a, a Blessings Ranch. It's a Christian uh, uh, counseling and recovery center. And he went away, and one of the sessions, what they asked him to do is they said, um, what I want you to do is I want you to make a list of all the people who've hurt you. Make a list of all the people who've hurt you. And he said, I was amazed as I sat down and wrote the list in all these years. It was only seven or eight people. I mean, you would think it would be 30 or 50. or I mean, the guy pastors a church of 20,000 people. You think it may be 1,000? It was only seven or eight people. It was only seven or eight people. And he told the, the counselor, he said, it's only and he goes, it's always. Here's what the counselor said, it's always just seven or eight people. That's what it is. But what happens is, is we have those hurts, and rather than resolving them, we carry them. And the weight stacks up over the years and starts to drain off. The life and the goodness and the peace and the mercy starts to drain off and numb us out. And so what, what he did is he said, we, we want you to go through every one of those names and we, let's work through a process of forgiving each one of those people. And he said, man, in time, his, his emotions came back, his, his heart thawed out, <laughs> warmed back up. And he said, I felt like I was alive again. He goes, I, I, I live lighter now than I did before. Here's what I want to ask you. Have you ever made a hurt list? Not a hit list. <laughs> Closely related, but different. Have you ever made a hurt list? Have you ever sat down and written down the names of the people who hurt you? I would encourage you to try it and just see what the list looks like. Now, I think one of the hindrances that we oftentimes have in this area of forgiveness is we misunderstand what forgiveness is. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you a few thoughts on what forgiveness is not before we talk about what forgiveness is. Here's the first one. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Listen, there are some things that happen in this world that are so traumatic, the human brain is never going to forget it. And it would be terrible for you or I to ever think that we have not forgiven something because we still remember it. If you make that the standard of forgiveness, you're going to put a, a weight and a hardship on your life that you can't carry. Some things won't be forgotten. But that doesn't mean that they have to ruin your life. Forgiveness is also not feeling better. You might feel better. You might feel nothing. <laughs> Don't make your emotional response the standard by which you measure, have I really forgiven this person or not? 
Feelings can be misleading. Feeling, feeling better is not the goal. Getting better is the goal. Sometimes they go together. Sometimes they don't. Forgiveness is also not agreement. Forgiveness doesn't mean that I agree that, that what the person has done is, is appropriate or acceptable. Actually, what true forgiveness is, is stating uncategorically that what the person did is absolutely not acceptable and will probably never be acceptable. I mean, if it's acceptable, why, what would need to be forgiven? Nothing needs to be forgiven that's acceptable. No. So forgiveness is not agreement. Forgiveness is not saying what you did is okay. Forgiveness is saying what you did is not okay. But I'm going to forgive you anyway. Forgiveness is also not reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two pieces of a larger process. And our hope is, is that they can always go together. But sometimes they can't go together. There are some people that are so emotionally broken that the only way you can reconcile with them is submit yourself to destructive behavior that's going to harm you. And so sometimes what you have to do is forgive and reconcile to the point that you can have a healthy engagement but not reconcile any further. A, a, a requirement of forgiveness is not full reconciliation. You can forgive someone and never reconcile. Now, <laughs> please give me a minute to, to give you a, a, a little preface on this. I want to be very, very careful with this truth because we live in a day that is so fragile and cancel culture is so hot and we are so likely when someone offends us or wounds us or hurts us or does something we don't like to just shut them off, to just cut them out of our life. And I'm not saying that that's the answer either. Like we, the, the, the good byword now, the popular byword is toxic. You know, you're so toxic, everything's toxic. You're toxic. You didn't agree with me, you're toxic. Right? Did you, did you hear what she said? That's toxic. That's not actually toxic. I mean, it's not poisonous. You're not going to die. Because someone disagrees with you, you're not going to die. Everybody's not going to agree with you. Sometimes when people challenge us, we say, oh, it's toxic. We actually need to be challenged. It's okay to be challenged. It's okay to have a world that doesn't agree with everything you say or do. Right? So I'm, I'm saying let's be very careful with toxic because we're, we're so, oh, that person is so toxic, I'm just cutting them out of my life. We're so easy to do that now. Uh, 1 Corinthians says that love is patient, and it's kind, and it's long-suffering. Boy, I wish we had a little more long-suffering these days, right? A little more endurance and perseverance to hang with people through stuff. Having said that, a requirement of forgiveness is not reconciliation. There are going to be probably some very small number of people in your life where reconciliation is not entirely possible. But what I would say is, give it every opportunity. Like, go as, go as far as you can go, but it's not a requirement of forgiveness. So, what is forgiveness? Number one, forgiveness is an act of faith. 
Jesus was talking to his disciples about forgiveness, and here's what he said in Luke 17, 4. He said, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, now that, that's, <laughs> that's hard to take, isn't it? Seven times, at this point you think they're just making fun of you, you know? Seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Look, look at the disciples' response. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> you kidding me? Seven times? I'll give you four. <laughs> Three, maybe two and a half. Seven? What's interesting now, I want, I want to clarify a couple things. Number one, um, these seven times aren't the same thing seven times. That, that's, that's a problem. <laughs> when somebody's doing the exact same thing to you in one day seven times. There's a problem. It's not the same thing. And it's not even about the number. Jesus is pressing the disciples to the reality of their relationship with him, and their response is, help my faith, because I do not have enough faith. And that tells us that forgiveness is actually an issue of faith. It's actually an issue of faith. And that's when our faith begins to show its weaknesses. Not when we talk about it in theory. Not when we just show up and, you know, come to church and dress up and kind of participate. No, no, no. When you try to move to authentic, seven-day-a-week, 24-hour-a-day Christianity, and the issues of life show up, they will press against your faith, and they will reveal the weaknesses of your faith. That's why cultural Christianity will never work. Because it's a theory. It works in theory. It doesn't work in practice. When you start trying to practice your faith, that's when the weaknesses show up. And that's what Jesus is doing to his disciples. He's actually cornering them and saying, oh yeah, what if somebody came to you and did this seven times, what would you do? He says, well, you got to forgive them. And, and then they say, help my faith. Okay, so what does it mean that forgiveness is an issue of faith? Do you believe that God's way is a better way than your way? Faith to believe that God's way of forgiveness is better than that long list we gave. Do you believe that? It's so easy to say it, but our faith is pressed when we try to do it. When we try to actually forgive someone for the wound that they've performed inside of our life. Because our way looks better, it feels better, and sometimes it seems smarter. I don't, I don't know if, you, if you've noticed this, you know, around Christmas time, we watch a lot of movies. People watch a lot of movies. And every action movie ever made starts something like this. There's a guy. He doesn't bother anybody. He lives on, on his own, you know. And he's fine, and he's peace-loving, but somebody crossed the line. Somebody abducted his daughter or hurt his family or took his job or killed his dog, and now it is on. You know, they go in the basement, and they dig up all the uh, grenades and cannons and ammunition and tank, and he's going to go over, and he fights an army by himself, and he kills them all, and he wins. It's an action movie. Revenge! You should have never started it if you didn't want me to finish it. You know, it's that kind of thing. Man, that is, that is, that's there. Now, some of you ladies are laughing a little too hard, if I'm just being honest. Because I've seen the Lifetime Network. You know what I'm saying? It's always the, the cheerleader that wouldn't be accepted on the team, and the head cheerleader hates her, and, you know, she goes Tanya Harding on her, and, I mean, the whole thing <laughs> falls apart. So don't you be laughing too much, because you got your own version of this thing. You know what I'm saying? You go Wakanda forever, you know, Princess Shiru. 
So this would be this would be even funnier if it didn't sometimes happen. But like a few days ago, a guy walks into a Walmart in Virginia and starts shooting people. And I just read yesterday that the youngest victim was 16 years old. Was killed for what? For shopping at Walmart? He's gone. And you, and you, you ask, who hurt that guy? Like, what happened to him? What unresolved issues were in that guy's life? Now, that's a very extreme example, and fortunately, we don't all get there. But you can see the list. Like, what, what are you going to do when you're hurt, and you're going to be hurt because you're human, and, there's no, and you're surrounded by humans, and there's no way to avoid it? So when you get hurt, what are you going to do? Are you going to have the faith to believe that God's way is better? Are you going to take in one of those other ways in anger or revenge or spite or withdrawal or sarcasm or cynicism or distrust? What are you going to do? That's the question. Jesus gave the disciples a response. He said in Luke 17, 6, listen to this. There's two um, plants in this answer that I want you to pay attention to. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, so remember that. It's really little. You can say to this mulberry tree, there's the other plant, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. So what, what is he saying? Jesus tells his disciples, you've got to forgive even if it's seven times. And they're going, woo, we don't, we don't have enough faith. Help our faith. And Jesus gives one of the most amazing answers that will, that will set you free and empower your life so much. And at first, it sounds condescending, you know, even if you have a little faith. But I, I want you to hear it a different way. What Jesus is saying is, hey, for this stuff to work, you don't have to be a super Christian. You don't have to be Paul the Apostle or Moses or even Jesus himself. You just need a little bit of faith. You don't need a lot. You don't have to have giant faith. You don't have to be like the person you know in your church who prays all the time. You can just be an average, everyday person. And if you just have, watch, if you just have a little faith, not just have it, but if you actually, like, put it into action, if you just take a step, just a little baby step, just to act on, just reach, just try. Just try God's way. Just have enough faith to say, hey, maybe God's right about this. I think I'm just going to... Try. Even a little bit of faith will set you free. Now, what about the mulberry tree? It's a, quite a picture because a, a mulberry tree had an enormous underground gnarly root system that strangled the earth. Actually, actually, they were told you couldn't plant a mulberry tree within 75 feet of an underground well because the root system might break in and crack it. It was, it was terrible. You could cut a mulberry tree off at the ground level, and sometimes it would even grow back because the roots held it. That's how tough it was. How on earth could you uproot something like that that strength? Maybe, maybe you say, you don't know what happened to me. There's no way I could ever forgive what happened to me. And Jesus is saying there is a way how do you uproot something so gnarly and nasty and painful? Here's how. 
if you give Jesus just a little bit of faith, just a small little microscopic grain of faith, he promises to be active inside it. He promises to help you and to move in it and uproot even the most difficult things. Number two, forgiveness is a decision. Now, in Scripture, oftentimes, forgiveness is stated as a matter of fact. Like in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. It's just kind of stated as a matter of fact, something that you just do. And then back in Luke, uh, what we just read earlier, 17.4, Jesus said at the end of that, even if they sin against you seven times, but look at the last part, you must forgive them. Not you might, not you should, not you ought to. In the South, that's what we say, you ought to. You must forgive them. It's just stated as a matter of fact, which tells me it's a decision. So when you get hurt, where you're actually at is you're at a fork in the road. And you can either take that, that path that says, I'm going to internalize this, I'm going to stew on it, I'm going to get revenge, I'm going to cut that person out of my life, I'm going to, whatever you're going to do, or you can take the path of faith and say, okay, Jesus, Jesus' path is better than my path of revenge or spite. Now, just because it's a decision doesn't mean it's easy, and just because it's a decision, it doesn't mean that you don't have to do it again and again. You might come back to the same pain and decide again and decide again and decide again. You might come and say, today I decide to forgive this, and then tomorrow you might have to get up and do it again. You might have to say, you know what, today I decide again. Because some pains are so deep, that root system takes a little while to unclog. It takes a little while to get all of that out. Here's the last thought. Forgiveness is releasing the other person. You know one of the main words used in the New Testament for forgiveness? In, in the Greek language, the original, the New Testament was written in Greek. So if you go back and look at the Greek word for forgiveness, there's two main words. One of them means to um, release. It means to release, it means to um, send away, it means to let go. To send away, to release, to let go. Isn't it, isn't it amazing that the things that hurt us the most in life are the things that we won't let go of? You can, you can hold it and hold it and hold it and hold it. And you can hold it until it freezes your heart. But your heart will never thaw out until you let it go. And what does that mean? What does it mean to forgive? What does it mean to release? It means this. It means that you have stated to the person. Or if that's not possible, you've stated in your heart toward the person. I let you go from any and every obligation that you have toward me. You owe me nothing. And you and I are equals. You don't have a lesser standing in our relationship than I do. We are equals and I release you and I let you go and I, and I release all judgment that I had over your life. And I release all criticism that I've held against you. And I'm not looking somewhere in the future for you to pay me back or treat me better because you've got to make up for this. 
I let go. I just absolutely release it. One more quote from Lewis Smeads from his little book, Forgive and Forget. You will know that forgiveness has begun when you recall those who hurt you and feel the power to wish them well. When you can genuinely hope for the blessing and benefit of someone who's hurt you, you forgive them. You've let them go. The only path to a warm heart is forgiveness. Now, that brings us right to the end. Why is Jesus the real star of Christmas? Why isn't it Jack Frost or Rudolph or why is it Jesus? Here's why. Jesus was the most innocent person who ever lived. He never did anything wrong to anybody, to himself, to his father, to anybody, to the earth, to anybody. He was innocent, completely innocent. And arguably, he's the worst treated person that ever lived. He was rejected, he was betrayed, he was spit on, he was beaten. And while he was being tortured to death, listen to what he said in Luke 23. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus is the star of Christmas because he was the best person that got treated the worst way and in the darkest hour of his life, he made a choice. And his choice was to forgive. And because of that choice, you and I know freedom and joy and grace and kindness like we would never have known. You know why? Because when you forgive... It releases good things. It releases good things into your life and into the life of those around you that would have never existed had you not let go. So would you stand with me this morning? How about that hurt list? How about that hurt list? It might take some time. When you make your hurt list, you, you, you might need to contact a few people in the right way at the right time. Maybe some of them aren't even alive anymore. And you just have to work down that list and say, God, give me the grace to let this person go. I'm just telling you, your life will be so much lighter when you do it. And here's the beauty of it. Because Jesus chose forgiveness at the worst time of his life and he died and came back from the dead like we sang earlier. He's promised to be in your little seat of faith and to give you the same power that the Holy Spirit gave to him to forgive, to give it to you when you need to forgive. So you're not even doing this by yourself. The worship team's going to sing a, a great song called Thank You, Jesus. And I can't think of a better thing to do at Christmas than just thank Him for who He is and what He's done. If you're online with us, our prayer team's ready to pray with you. And if you have a prayer need, we'd love for you just to put it in the comment section and a prayer team member will join you there in the comments and pray with you. But would you just take a minute 
as our worship team prepares and we're about to sing this song to thank God, Lord, today we thank you that you've so richly blessed us in Jesus Christ and forgiven us and offered forgiveness for us and given us the power to forgive. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done in Jesus' name.